right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being with me once again on this uh, Sunday morning here at the Digital Cathedral. Let me just give a special shout out and welcome to all of you that may be here for the first time. We hope that you enjoy the experience at the Digital Cathedral. You find community. And most importantly, that the teaching enriches you and meets our goal of bringing you to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, have you got your seatbelts fastened this morning? Because we're going to uh, we're going to get into some things that I think may stretch you, shake your world, upend maybe some of your theology, but it's all going to be good. If any of you have gone to the preacher factory, you know, seminary, Bible college, Bible school, and uh, you went there to uh, become a preacher, teacher, pastor, then. Uh, for sure, you took a course in homiletics. Homiletics, for those of you that might not be um, familiar with that term, homiletics is simply a course where they teach you how to put a message or a teaching together. And in that course, they teach you that there's always two important things that every teaching should have. It should have a premise, which is the foundation from which you are going to explain the teaching or disclose the revelation from which... I guess if you were to say it in natural terms, the premise is the basis for the argument. And then there is a thesis, which should be in one sentence, explaining what the teaching is trying to accomplish or what the teaching is about. So my premise this morning, I'm gonna give you my premise, I'm gonna give you my thesis, and then we're gonna get right into this. My premise this morning is this, that the greatest sin and those of you that have been with me at the Digital Cathedral know that the word sin is the Greek word harmatia. It means simply to miss the mark. It's actually an archery term. When an archer shoots a bow and arrow and the arrow misses the bullseye, it's called a sin. And we've kind of picked up on that. So sin is when we miss the mark. I think the greatest sin, the greatest missing of the mark today is to think less of ourselves than what God thinks of us. That's, that's my first... First premise. I got four premises this morning. My foundation from which I, I want to lay out the course of this teaching. Second of all, I, the conclusion of grace. My second premise is this. The conclusion of grace is the revelation of our absolute full inclusion in Christ. My third premise is that the full union that we have with deity is our identity now today. <clears throat> Let me say that again. The full union that we have with deity. You have, a, you have a union with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. They have invited you into that circle of fellowship. That is our identity. And number four, my fourth premise this morning, is that you are a son, a daughter, by design. You are not an old sinner under construction. Right. So those four strong premises this morning, that's going to be the foundation of the revelation that I want to lay out for you. Now, religion would look at those premises and they would try to disprove it by scripture like maybe Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn over to Romans 12, 3. Let me just read this verse. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think to soberly as God has dealt to every man the measure of grace. So religion would say, look, the premise that you're laying down, that we are fully included in, in the Christhood of Jesus, that we are, are one with the Father, 
the premise that you have, have laid down, those four premises, Paul tells us we better be very careful that we don't think more highly of ourselves than we should. And the premises that you're laying down puts us into a light that would appear to be contradictory to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. All right, my thesis, my sermon in a sentence, or my teaching in one sentence, the thesis is this, that we are far more powerful, we're far more creative as manifesting sons than we were ever allowed or ever taught to think about ourselves up to this point in time. We are, we are far below the level that the scripture teaches and that Jesus came to teach us about. So I'm going to tell you right up front this morning, I'm going to push the envelope. I'm going to push the envelope. And some of you may never watch the Digital Cathedral again when I'm done this morning. Because what I've done this morning is this. I, 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 I want you to come to a place where you fully understand who you are and what you possess. So when I'm done this morning, you may trash everything that I say. You may disfellowship me. You may write the authorities of the universe and demand my ordination certificate. But this morning, if I were to give a title to the teaching this morning, I would call it this, all gas, no brakes. All gas, no brakes. If there's going to be any brakes applied to this teaching today, you're going to be the one to put the brakes on it because I'm not going to. All right, so we read in this third, third verse of Romans chapter 12, Verse three, he says, I say through the grace that is given to me to everyone that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Let me read that verse out of the mere translation. Francois does a great job of this verse. He says, Romans 12, three out of the mere translation. His grace gift inspires us to say to you that your thinking must be consistent with everything within you according to the measure of faith God has appointed to every individual. He goes on to say and finishes this third verse off, and this is the part I like. Let the revelation of redemption shape your thoughts. Let the how, how big your revelation of redemption is should shape the way that you think. Now, Paul said not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but on the flip side of that coin, let me also challenge you to say this. We shouldn't, we shouldn't think less of ourselves. Paul said, don't think more. I'm telling you this morning that thinking more of ourselves has not been the problem. The problem has been we think way less of ourselves. Let me give you an example. This is a verse you probably never heard in church. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, 10. Paul says, for we are God's workmanship. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make anything for the scrap heap. So right away, it tells us that God has made something special. In fact, God looked at us after he created us and then say just good. He looked and said, very good. We're his workmanship. Watch this. Created in Christ Jesus. Right Now that brings you to a level that you never heard in church. That's a verse, honestly, in 35 years of pastoring, before I got this revelation of grace in 2003, I never taught that verse. I never saw it in the light of being created in Christ Jesus. And the rest of the verse says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has before ordained that we would walk in, that we would fulfill, that we would actually experience with our life. So that kind of ups, ups my ante a little bit in life as to how I see myself. Also notice in that verse that Paul said that he gives to us 
the measure of faith. New King James says a measure of faith. The King James says the measure of faith. I think the better translations say the measure of faith. So here's, here's the question. How big is that measure? How big is that measure of faith that he gives, gives to you? Could it be as big as you're willing to measure it? Could the measure of faith that he has given to you be as big as you're willing to measure it? Some people measure it with a shovel. Some people may, may, may measure it with a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Some people really are out there. They may take a steam shovel and say, this is how much faith I have, like a steam shovel. But my question to you is this. Could the measure of faith that he has given to you when he created you in Christ Jesus, created you in that position, never out of that position, always in that position, could the measure of faith that he has given to you be the same as the God who gave it to you? Could you have this morning the measure of the Father's faith? Is it too much to think that the Father has given to us the same measure of faith that he has? All right, Mark chapter 11, verse 22. I'm probably going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning, which is my, seems like it's my pattern, isn't it? So I, I keep you tuning. I, I usually read out of the New King James. I study out of a lot of different Bibles, but I generally read out of the New King James. I think it probably does as good a job as most any version in, in conveying truth. They all have... They all have something to bring to the table, but they also all have some places that they're not all that accurate. But look, look what it says here. Could it, could it be possible that we have the same measure of faith that God has? Mark chapter 11, verse 22 says, Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Now, the, the Young's literal transition, translation the Young's Literal Translation says like this. It says, have the God kind of faith. That's the faith that we're to have. We're to have the God kind of faith. So the faith that spoke the universe into existence is the same faith, I maintain, that has been deposited into our hearts. The faith that has been given to you, the measure of faith that has been given to you is the same measure that spoke the universe into existence that has been placed in your heart. Does that, does that at all intimate to you that you should be a creator of proportion that maybe we haven't exercised yet? There's a huge global shift going on right now all over the world. I'm amazed at how fast it's going. And it's like, it's like this tsunami that just keeps growing in power and strength. It's a shift in perception. It's a shift in consciousness. It's an, in, it's an internal expansion that is taking place. There are multitudes across the globe that are awakening out of a, a religious fog, that are ra awakening out of a religious stupor, that are beginning to look at all of these unchallenged illusions of religious lies that have been deeply ground into the human psyche. And they're all, they're all ground in of limitations of telling us you're just a human, you're just a person. You'll never, you can never excel to the things that Jesus said about you. Now, even the limitations and and the boxes of the last few years that we have been put into have got to go. The boxes of traditional Christianity, the evangelical church, have been exploded all over. There's no question about that. But I want to draw your attention to something. There are boxes that we have drawn in the last few years that we need to also jump outside of. 
Mark chapter 2, verse 22 says that new wine goes into new wineskins. And that when new wine is poured out, old wineskins can't handle it. It busts, it busts and it breaks. So the new wine is flowing today. The new wine is flowing at a speed, at a, at a rapidity that I have never seen in my entire life. But here's what I see what's happening. And this is what I want to bring to you this morning at this point in this teaching at the Digital Cathedral. Here's something that's going on. I want to warn you about it. People are being stretched. They're, they're, they're being filled like a new wineskin with new wine. They're getting revelation. They're getting truth. Uh, the Spirit is pouring into us. But here's what I see going on. Even in some of my grace friends that started with me back in the early 2000s with the revelation of this message, what they have done, they have taken the revelation that they got at that point in time and they have boxed it up and they have, they feel like there is no further understanding or revelation to grasp. Some of the biggest named grace teachers today, the ones that you see on television, and I'm not going to call them by name, but if you just think of guys that come from Singapore or Colorado Springs, you know who I'm talking about. They have a tremendous revelation of grace, but they have boxed it up and they have stood still and they're not willing to go any farther with it. Many grace friends of mine have just put the grace in a box. They put the finished work of the cross in a box. They got tremendous revelation, tremendous truth about it. But they have said, this is the totality of the revelation. And they keep going over the same thing time after time after time, teaching after teaching. It's just like being back in the evangelical church when every Sunday morning the message was the same, just with a different title. Same conclusion, same altar call, just with a different title. The problem is this, guys. The Spirit does not stop at boxing anything up. He doesn't quit flowing. He doesn't quit dispensing. He doesn't quit revealing. So people... People outgrow that box of grace that we boxed up early, if you boxed it up, or the boxed up, finished work of the cross at that level, at that dimension, it's good truth. It's good truth. But let me say something to you. There's more. There's more. Even in that area where we received revelation, there's more. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, I read these verses because I need to, to keep them in my mind as I continue to move forward with the understanding that in, in grace, there's more to discover. Finish work at the cross, there's more to discover. I think you could take John 3.16 and probably spend your whole life uncovering the layers of truth that's in John 3.16. But what the church has done is taken a surface meaning and stopped, right? So that's what's happened with grace sometimes. People have taken the surface meaning, the revelation of no works, being justified freely from no hoop jumping, and they've stopped it there. But look what Paul says, Revelations 2.6, <clears throat> says that he raised us up and see this together with him in heavenly places, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So Paul says in that seventh verse that it's going to take the ages to come to explore the depths of grace and the loving kindness that God has extended toward us. So we can't stop and box something up in 2021, in 2023. Or what God showed you in two thousand what God showed me in two thousand and three. I thought that was the end of the parade. I didn't think there was any more. I had no idea that grace was going to lead me to deeper revelation. Here's what I'm trying to say. I think that we've totally underestimated what Jesus taught us. I think we've totally underestimated the depth and the ability that we have through the spirit of truth to grasp continual revelation that will bring us to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ.
I think we've underestimated what Jesus taught in John chapter 16. Look at this. Let's back up to John chapter 2, verse 16. <clears throat> John chapter 16 and verse, and verse 12. I'm sorry, John chapter 16, verse 12. <clears throat> Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So is it possible that Jesus has more things to tell us, but until we're able to stretch the wineskin or have a new wineskin, we can't catch the new wine that's coming in. He said, I got a lot of things to tell you, but man, you can't handle it yet. It's beyond your ability to stretch. Verse 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. That's what he's doing today, guiding us into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And whatever he will tell you, you will see things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. He'll just keep taking it down level after level after level. So the process never stops. Jesus said in verse 12, I got a lot of things to explain. I got a lot of revelation to unpack, but you can't handle it yet. And the reason I think a lot of my friends and some of these grace TV preachers that are bringing a grace on a level, certainly not a radical, hyper, pure grace, but grace on a level, a grace that's at least free from works. They're kind of like a bridge from the law to a pure grace message. And I thank God for them. I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying they stopped the message. And the people that I visit with that have, that have boxed up grace, that have boxed up their understanding of, of the finished work at the cross at the level that they have received an understanding of, do it because of fear. And there's three basic fears that they have expressed to me that I just want to dissolve for you and tell you there is no fear in this. There is no fear in what the spirit of truth will continue to unveil. The first fear that they have is this. Fear number one, I'm gonna give you three fears. Then, we're, then we're, I'm gonna get past this introduction in a few minutes and get into the meat of the message. But the first fear is the fear that we're gonna make people equal with Jesus. That's a fear that they have. We talk union, we talk oneness, we preach no dualism, and yet we live separation. We think Jesus is here and I'm here, and I can, I can never be as he is in this present world, which John revealed to us. That 15th verse, Jesus said this, the 15th verse of John chapter 16, verse 15. He said, and the things that the Father has are mine. They're mine. Everything the Father has belongs to Jesus. Therefore, I said, he will take of what is mine <clears throat> and he will declare it to you. So we, we, we talk union, we talk oneness, but we live separation. How, do you think that the spirit of truth is, is not going to take everything that the Father has given to Jesus and declare it to us as soon as we're able to handle it. Jesus coming in the flesh, called the incarnation, came, he came for two reasons. Reason number one is to disclose an ac accurate, actual picture of who the Father is. And the second reason that Jesus came is to show us the potential, to show us the life that you and I can live in the kingdom, on this earth, on this planet, Today, that's the reason Jesus came. So am I, am I saying I'm Jesus? Absolutely not. Come on. I am not Jesus. Jesus and I have separate missions. Jesus and you have separate missions. Both the mission of Jesus and the mission that you came to fulfill on the planet are totally within the scope and the realm of the plan of the Father. And the cloud of witnesses said that without us, their mission would not be fulfilled.
So you have a plan. You are not Jesus. You are not Jesus. However, let me say this. If Jesus was Christ, if Jesus was Christ, the word made flesh. And if we have always been in Christ, then am I also not the word that has been made flesh? Am I also not the Christ made flesh? The word Christ means anointed one. That's all it means. It means anointed one. Don't make, don't make it bigger than what it is. When the Father and the Son and the Spirit were together in Genesis and said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, when they said that, does that not make me then the word made flesh? Their word that they spoke became me. My word became flesh. I'm getting into, I'm getting into some things here. I'm just un uncovering some, some different fears that have gone on from people that have boxed up the message and I think have stopped way too short. Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. I told you, this is all gas, no brakes this morning. Colossians chapter one, let me pick it up with verse 25. Paul said, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So Paul says, I, I, I'm on a mission. He says, here's the mission, verse 26. There was a mystery that has been hidden from ages and generations, but is now being revealed to the saints. So there's some truth that was there the whole time. See, truth has always been there. Truth has always been there. But now we're beginning to understand some truth that was a mystery, Paul said, and here's what it is. God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you Gentiles, the hope of glory. So listen, we need to, we need to adjust our thinking. We need to stop being fearful that people are going to become too much like the pattern son. That's the whole idea of the pattern is that the firstborn among many brethren would be the pattern of which we would all fit. We would all become like the pattern. So the, the first fear that they give me is this. We're just afraid that people are going to be, become, think they're Jesus. No, nobody's going to say they're Jesus, but we need to understand the pattern and how we fit the pattern. Fear number two is this, that we're going to include people in the family, in our circle, that are not like us, that we're going to become too inclusive, that somehow we're going to become too liberal in our approach. It used to be that the Charismatics uh, excluded the Baptists because the Baptists didn't speak in tongues. And it used to be that the Baptists excluded the Catholics, called them heretics because they didn't pray the magic prayer. Now, that's not kind of what's going on today. What's going on today, the groups that we're excluding now are, are people groups that we don't agree with, like Muslims or Hindus or New Age people. And we're afraid that we're going to become too much like Paul on Mars Hill that went to the idol worshiper, saw these people worshiping idols, said, you're worshiping a God, the true God, but you don't even know who he is. And he called those idol worshipers. You can read it for yourself in Acts 17. He called them children of God. And he said, we are all the children of God. Let me, let me read for you Colossians chapter 3. Well, let me just paraphrase it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says, Now in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, there's neither barbarian or civilized. He said there's no longer a Scythian. And I've talked to you about the Scythians, the most unevangelized, uh, barbaric people that lived in southern Russia. He said there, we, there's no separation. There's no difference in people. 
And he finishes that verse up in verse 11, Colossians 3. And he says, but Christ is all and in all. Now that's where we've got to live. So having this fear that we're going to become too inclusive is not the gospel. The gospel is inclusive. But I will tell you what, if Paul, if Paul came and taught Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 today, they would kick him out of the church. They would take his ordination certificate. They would call him a false teacher and a heretic. Third fear is this, that we're going to fall into heresy, false doctrine. So I asked the question this last week on Facebook. I said, who is the shot caller in the United States or in the kingdom on what is heresy? What is false teaching? Who's the shock? Who is the, who is the one that determines and says, this is heresy, this is true? Is it the Southern Baptist out of, out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee? Is it the uh, Assemblies of God out of Springfield, Missouri? Is it the Church of the Nazarene out of Kansas City? Is it the Pentecostal Church of God or the United Pentecostal Church out of Cleveland, Tennessee or wherever their headquarters is? Who's the official shot caller for heresy? See, that's the question. The truth is that we, we judge it based on the revelation that we have at the particular time of grace, the finished work of the cross, our theology. We base it on what the church fathers said 1,500 years ago. And I'm fixing to do me a teaching on the church fathers of 1,500 years ago because there's some things about many of the church fathers that have been put on a pedestal that should have never been idolized. And I feel like in some circles, Church fathers 1,500 years ago are looked upon like they have some kind of uh, corner on the spirit of truth that you don't have. If we have not progressed in the last 15, 16, 17, 1,800 years since the what we call church fathers who supposedly set the foundation from which everything is judged, if we have not progressed beyond that, something is wrong with the job that the spirit of truth is bringing to the table. I believe, look, I believe things today. That, that a few years ago, I would have said are jacked up. I believe things today that I would look down one time and said, that is all, that is all heresy. So I think we have to ask ourselves, what is the potential? What is the potential of the, son of the sons of God? What is the potential of the daughters of God? How, how far can we really reach? All right now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to begin to lay something out here. John chapter 14, verse 12. I told you I'm pushing the envelope this morning. If you cannot accept this, if you can't hang on to what I'm telling you this morning, then you have boxed up your beliefs and where you're at, and you're not willing to expand and move further. John chapter 14, verse 12. This is what Jesus said. He said, most assuredly, I say to you that he who believes on me, the works that I do, he do also and greater works than these because I go to the Father. How many pastors, how many teachers do you know that are actually willing to say, we are entitled to do greater works than Jesus? The fear of, of us becoming like Jesus, I mean, that's just crazy. When Jesus himself said, greater works would we do than he did. Now, my mission is not Jesus. I'm not dying on the cross, sins of the world. I'm not reconciling the cosmos to the Father. That's already been done. But I'll tell you what, I'm filling in my part of the puzzle and you're filling in your part of the puzzle of the Father's plan. And Jesus said, part of the plan is that we do what he did and greater works than these because he's going to the Father. He's ushering in the potential, the ability to do that. All right, let me read on. If you ask anything in my name, he said, I 
will do it. And in verse 13, he said, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, are these great works heresy? Is it heresy to sit here at the digital cathedral on Sunday morning and tell you that you are a creator, that your thoughts, your imagination, what grows in your heart, the words of your mouth is a creative force that entitles you to do not only what Jesus did, but greater works than Jesus did. What's the limitation? Mark chapter 9, verse 23 says, all things are possible to him that believes. What's the limitation? Is it really true that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he? Have we been thinking too small within ourselves of who we actually are? Can we break the fence lines? Can we refuse to box up at any particular time the revelation that we have received? Is there a continued revelation to be poured out, even outside the book? Is there revelation to be poured outside the book? The book says that if everything was recorded that Jesus said, the books of the world couldn't contain it. So evidently, Jesus said a lot, taught a lot, that's not recorded in the book. Now, what we've been sold is a bill of goods that says you're just human. You're just a person. You'll never be anything but a human encumbered with flesh limitations. All right. Now, that's my introduction. Now, I'm going to get down to the meat of the message. Now, here's where I want you to let all of this settle in. Some of this you've probably heard before. You say, I I've heard that. Well, based on what I've told you so far, Based on what I've told you, my thesis, remember my thesis, we've way undersold ourselves. We've way undershot the potential that we have. And I think Jesus affirms that. When Jesus said greater works than I do, will you do also? I think he affirms that we have not yet risen to where we can rise. So let me just give you six things this morning real quick. I've got about 15 minutes. I took 30 minutes of my introduction. Now I'm going to give you the meat of the message in about 15 minutes. I'll give you six things that really define who you are right now in, with present truth. And every one of these, you're going to be able to take down level after level after level. It's like an onion. You can just keep on peeling it, unpeeling it, unpeeling it. I want to give you three things kind of from the father's side of the coin as to how he sees you, uh, what he has said about you. And then I'm going to give you three from the other side of the coin that kind of embeds within you. Uh, your Christedness, if I can make that a word, your Christedness. So let me just hit three things. This is how the Father sees you. And, and I've, I've said, I think my, my hypothesis this morning, first, first point, was I think that the greatest sin that we have committed is to see ourselves way less than how the Father sees us. And I'm laying that case out for you this morning. I want you to see yourself for everything that you are to be. Paul said, don't think of yourself more highly, but he turned right around. And by saying that is intimating, you shouldn't think less of yourself. Are you seeing yourself this morning as the workmanship of God that was created in Christ Jesus for good works? What does that entail? All right, let me give you three from the side of the Father. First thing is this. First thing you need to know. First thing that is going to untap continual revelation is the understanding, number one, that you and the Father are one. There is no separation, never been separation. It's a lie to say there is. Baxter Kruger says the central verse of the scriptures of the gospel is John 14, 20, 
where Jesus said, in that day, you'll know that I'm in the Father and you're in me and I'm in you. In other words, the Father, the Son, and you are all encased into one. He created you in his image. He created you in his likeness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then he puts the cherry on top of the Sunday in Genesis chapter two and verse seven and takes of the very life of God himself and breathes it into your nostrils. The only life that God has is eternal life. He has no beginning, no end. He took that eternal life and breathed it into your nostrils. Now this may upset your theology, but I have to shoot you straight. There was never a time based on Genesis 2, 7 that you were without eternal life. There's no verse that I know in scripture. There's nothing that has ever been laid out that says that breath that he breathed into you was ever, was ever extracted, was ever taken away from mankind. What breath would we, every breath that we take is a testimony that you are by identity divinity. I don't know how else to tell you. Everything from the get-go said no dualism. Everything from the get-go said that there was no separation. That, you know what I mean by dualism? That God is here and you're here and there's a separation. There's a split in there. Anything less than absolute union, anything less than the Father actually blowing his breath into your nostrils and you having eternal life and enjoying that eternal life is an absolute lie. All right, second of all, second of all, and I got to keep moving with these. You have a divine nature. He's given it to you. You have a divine nature. There is no junior divine nature. There's no junior Holy Spirit. If you have a divine nature, you have all of it, like father, like son. The truth is this. You have always had your father's DNA that has always coursed through your veins. There's only one life. Come on. There's only one life. There's not two lives. There's not a greater life and a lesser life. People say, well, you know, you were born in sin. You were born separated from the Father. You were born with a depraved nature. You were born after the likeness of Adam. You, you were born a child of the devil with a fallen nature. Who told you you were naked? Who told you that you were born or that you were living needing anything? I tell you what, it wasn't the Father. There's no verse in scripture that tells you that. It wasn't Jesus. In fact, in fact, in fact, Jesus never one time mentioned Adam. You would think something that the church has conjured up to be so important as an endemic nature, fall, falling into sin, being totally depraved at birth. You bring that little baby home, that, that, that seven pound, six ounce baby, you look at it and say, you, de you depraved, sick human being. <laughs> You'd think if that were the case, that Jesus would have done a teaching. He would have at least done a parable about the lost condition of mankind, but he never did. There's not one mention of Adam. Where did we get that from? Where did that idea well up within us? I'll tell you exactly where it came from. That's what they fed you down at the church house. Because they wanted to create a problem that never existed so that they then could provide a solution that you didn't need. That's what the whole evangelical church is based on, creating a problem, then providing a solution. And that solution then is supposed to bridge the gap between the problem and where you're at. The problem never existed. And if there's no problem, there's no solution that's needed. You know those verses I read from 1 Peter all the time? 
I want you to get these down in your spirit and don't you ever doubt it. You have a divine nature. Let me read this for you from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it again until we get it. Chapter 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Right? Now, keep that in mind. He's already begotten you, birthed you again to a living hope. Now pop it over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. As his divine power, you've already born again, got the divine hope. His divine power has given to you that have been begotten again through the resurrection. <clears throat> he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called you to glory. I'm giving you the knowledge that expands to let you know everything that has been given to you. Watch verse, watch verse four. This is so, so rich. By which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these exceeding great and precious promises, you would understand that you have a divine nature, that you're a partaker of the divine nature. Let me say it again. There is no junior divine nature. There's no partial divine nature. You were created to be a creator of a life that would make visible every promise that he has already said yes and amen to. You were created as a creator to walk in the life that Jesus said you could have as an abundant life. And that what, what empowers you to do that is the nature you have within. As long as you see yourself, remember, remember my premise this morning, that you're a son, a daughter of God. By identity, you are divinity. You are not this old wretch that is being restored or reformed. That's one of the problems that I have with Alcoholics Anonymous. And I could tell you a lot of story about that because I had a lot of AA people in my church. And I used to go to the AA meetings with them to just demonstrate that there were preachers that weren't wacky because their, their conception of the church was not good. But one of the things that bothered me at an AA meeting is every time they introduced themselves, they would say, hi, I'm Don, I'm an alcoholic, right? I'm an alcoholic. That became their identity. That's not your, your identity is not an old sinner saved by grace. Your identity is a manifesting son and daughter of God. And until we understand that we have a divine nature, you will always be identifying yourself by something that is wrong. You were created. Let me say it again. You were created to be a creator of a life that is abundant, that is full, that reflects to the absolute hundredth percentile the life of the pattern son himself. All right. So you're one with the father. You have a divine nature. Now, let me just push it a little further. You are filled with the fullness of God. You are filled with the fullness of God. Here's what Colossians 2.9 says. It says that in this one man, Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt. So the entire fullness of the Godhead in the man, Jesus, fullness of the Father, the fullness of uh, the Christ, the fullness of the Spirit dwelt in Jesus. This one man, he embodied it. We call that the hypostatic union. He was 100% man, 100% divine, right? You got a picture of that? Because the next verse is going to put you in the same category. Verse 10 says, and you are complete. You are fulfilled. You are one with this man, Jesus, that was filled with the fullness of the Godhead. Let me read a couple other versions. The NIV says, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. The NLT 
You are complete through your union in Christ. The CST, you have been filled by him. Now listen to what Francois says in the Mirror Bible. All of deity resides in him, in a human body. He, he possesses the life that is tailor-made for God, and you are complete in him. Let me, let me just read that last part again. He proves, he proves and possesses. He proves that the human life is tailor-made for God. Verse 10, Francois says, and you are complete in him. So what, what did Jesus come to show us? He came to show us that the life that he lives, that the body that, that fleshed him out was tailor-made for the fullness of God to dwell in, and you're complete in him. Now, some of you probably clicked me off already. You said, Pastor, you're just taking this thing too far. You have ran this thing out there that's blowing my mind. No, let me just say it again. You and the Father are one. No separation. Don't ever, the biggest lie of the evangelical church is the lie of separation, that you are ever separated. Number two, you have his divine nature. He put that into you when he breathed into you the breath of life. The only life he could ever give you was eternal life. You've never were without eternal life. Do you think God, the creator of the universe, the one that knows the end from the beginning, would set this thing up to fail? I don't think so. And number three, you're filled with the fullness of the Godhead. All right, that's three, kind of from the, the perspective of the Father. All right, now let me just flip over and look at three things from the Christ. From the Christ. All right, number one, you have the mind of Christ. You're not trying to get it. You possess it. You possess it. First Corinthians, what is it? First Corinthians 2.16 says, for we have the mind of Christ. All right. What measure do you put on that mind? Right now, right where you're sitting in, in November of 2021, what measure do you put on the mind of Christ that you possess? Is there any problem? Is there any situation that the mind of Christ cannot solve? You say, well, I can't solve them. No, the reason you can't is because you have limited the mind of Christ that you possess. You've boxed it up. You've said, I don't have that kind of IQ. I don't have that kind of spiritual insight. Well, see, they're right there. You've boxed yourself up. You've boxed yourself up. Is there any problem that the mind of Christ cannot solve? Now, let me tell you how big. Now, this, this is going to irritate. This is where some of you are going to get mad at me. Here's how big Paul measured the mind of Christ that is within you. Are you ready? Philippians chapter two. If, if you've been dozing off or ta taking a trip, come back, listen to this. I want you to see how big Paul measured the mind of Christ that is in you. Verse five, verse five, Philippians chapter two. Let this mind be with you or be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right, you got it? Let this mind be in you. Here's how you're to think. Here's how you are to see yourself. Watch. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God were to bring that outward form in complete harmony with what's true inwardly, all right? The mind of Christ resides within you. Now, it needs to start functioning externally. What, what measure do you put on the mind of Christ? 
he just told, this is your proper mindset. You know what the word equal means there? Who did not consider robbery to be equal? It's the word esos. It means equivalent or identical. Equivalent or identical. Now, look, 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 meaning I got to tell you something. I'm not reducing the father this morning. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bringing God down. I'm not bringing the father down. What I'm talking to you about this morning is sonship potential. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you to see you like father sees you. Spirit of truth inspired Paul to say, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ, who did not think it robbery to be equal with God. Now that mind manifests in verses seven and eight. All right? Now, when you start thinking this way, it's going to change your life. He made himself an old reputation, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So you are to appear in the likeness of men. You are to come as a servant. This is how the mind manifests. And then in verse 8, he goes on and says, And being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. Now that's, that's what the mind will empower you to do. Now, I'm, I'm just emphasizing verses 5 and 6. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ, who did not think it robbery to be equal with God. Then it's going to manifest. All right. So number one, from the Christ side, you have the mind of Christ. What measure do you put on that? Number two, he's bringing us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm, I'm running short on time this morning, so let, let me just kind of verbatim tell you what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, 12, and 13 says. It says that Christ gave gifts to men, and the gifts that he gave to men were the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Charismatic circles, they call that the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry is, has a specific function. It's to bring us to the unity of the faith. It's to bring maturity into the body of Christ. And the last part of that, that 13th verse says that they should do this. Here's their mission, to bring us, and you can read it out of your own Bible. I don't care what translation you want to read it. To bring us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's their job. I'm going to submit to you that fivefold ministry has failed. 1,500 years, 1,800 years, we have not been brought to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you know why? Because a leader cannot take you someplace that he has not gone himself. And leadership has not thought the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher have not thought that was even possible. It's, it's not even been talkable. I never heard anybody lay the vision out of coming to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you know why? Do you know why this is not taught? Well, first of all, I just told you because leaders are not living it. I'm telling you that's, that's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And I'm not going to stop for anything less than that. See, Leaders are afraid of the things that we talk about here at the Digital Cathedral. I'm not afraid to talk about it. I'm, I, I'm at a place in my life, I'm not afraid to just tell it like it is. I'm, I'm at a place in my ministry and my teaching with people that I want you to get everything that you can possibly get. I want to squeeze everything out of these years that I can squeeze out of, and I'm not going to hold back for anybody. And if that offends or people don't want to listen, that's fine. You can go somewhere else. You can go to Joseph Prince or Andrew Womack and get that diluted mixture message. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you straight, 100 proof, pure message. Three fears that I talked about have stopped grace teachers 
And do you know why it stopped them? Because they have huge overheads, they have large ministries, and it's gonna mess with their speaking engagements, the book sales, and their offerings. If they go beyond what they're teaching right now, I'm here to tell you this morning, you, st you st stick with the old man, because I'm telling you that the glass ceiling on the manifestation of the sons of God has been shattered. It's been broken and we're busting through it, all right? So from the, from, from the Father's side, you're one with the Father, you have his divine nature, you're filled with the fullness of the Godhead. From the Christ side, we have the mind of Christ and you're rising the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All right, let me give you just one more, one more. Number three, this is from the Christ side. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's your perspective, that's your consciousness. Ephesians 2, 6 says, and he has raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I, I think it's worth me taking just a minute uh, and reading that verse out of the mere translation. Listen to this. He's raised us up, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the new King James. Here's the, here's the mirror. His grace gift inspires me to say to you that your thinking must be consistent with everything within you according to the measure of faith that God has appointed to every child. Now, we read that earlier, right? That, that's where we're at. Now, let me read Ephesians 2, 6 out of the mirror. We are co-included in his resurrection. We are also co-included in his ascension to be equally present in the throne room of the heavenly realm where we are co-seated within him in his executive authority. We are fully represented in Christ, co-resurrected, co-ascended, equally present in the throne with the Father. We're, we are perfectly represented in Christ. We have spent years, we've spent years trying to get to where we are already. We, we, this is where we began with him, co-resurrected. That's your perspective. That's your level of awareness. That's your, your Christ in you consciousness. And that makes you see everything from a Father, Son, Holy Spirit perspective. That's where union is recognized. You're seen. So the father leans over and tells the son, great revelation. Then the son leans over and whispers to you the same revelation. So you see and you know things that aren't written in the book. Jesus said, I got a lot of things to tell you, but you can't handle it yet. He said that 2,000 years ago. I challenge you. I challenge you this morning. Let's be that generation. Let's be that people that understand that they are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And let's be that people that recognize that he can show us, he can speak to us, he can talk to us well outside the book. I want you to let your imagination roll. I'm starting to land this, this, this plane this morning. I want you to let your imagination expand. See, the imagination, that's where you and the Father meet in an area of being unlimited. Nothing's limited in your imagination. Father works through your imagination. I read somebody say that your imagination is God. I, I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't see that, but I see it in union to where when he speaks and works in you, that your imagination can come to that place of being unlimited. Let your imagination out of the box. Let your imagination out of the box this morning. Can you see you, can, at this point in our development here at the Digital Cathedral, can you at least see you living and moving as a son slash daughter, 
who is fully one with the Father, that has a divine nature, that is filled with the fullness of the Godhead in your body, can you see yourself functioning out of the mind of Christ? Can you see yourself right this morning rising to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ to a fuller extent than you've ever, ever had before? Can your imagination open up and perceive yourself being seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus? Does those, do those six things describe a mere human being that we've been sold that we are? I don't think so. It's no wonder Jesus said, you are gods. Don't let that scare you. That's been so downplayed and, and put fear into people. Oh, people are making themselves God. No, I'm telling you what the Father says about you. I'm telling you what the Christ says about you. Don't let it scare you. But embrace, embrace all I am as an extension of all I am that I am says I am. You were created to be so much more. Let's don't undersell. Let's don't, under, let's don't underestimate. Let's begin to let our imagination fill our heart with the seed that we are fully one with the Father, that we have a divine nature, that we're filled with the fullness of the Godhead, that I function out of the mind of Christ, that I'm rising to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and that I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Meditate on these things. Let these things grow until you know that you know that you know that you truly are as he is in this present world. God bless you. Thank you for being with me. Uh, thank you for being tolerant. I ran a little bit over time this morning. I try to hold it to about 48, 49 minutes. I'm about 53, almost 54 minutes. I think this was well worth it. This is life-changing stuff. You need, to, you need to introduce people to the Digital Cathedral and you need to subscribe so that every time I come on, you're notified. Subscribe and hit the like. Hit the like, please hit the like. The more likes and the more comments you put on the YouTube page, the more the logarithms expose this ministry and this truth to people around the world. So let's, let's be good evangelists. Let's be evangelists, bearers of good news so that the world can see who they really are, just like you're seeing it for yourself. All right, see you Wednesday night at The Secret Place and back next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. Have a good week and God bless.